where where should I start with that? Um, it's a lot. It's Monday, June 8th, and we're talking about race in Richmond with Chauncey Jenkins, the general manager of Common House. Welcome to Eda, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eda, Virginia. My name is Scott Wise, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, it's been a tough a tough week around the country. It's been a tough week in Richmond, and this podcast is going to be a little different because we're going to talk less about food and more about life. We are going to listen. That's right. Uh, we have, as Roby mentioned, Chauncey Jenkins, who is the general manager of Common House, former general manager of La Mer Restaurant in Richmond, and he tells us his perspective on the things that he's experienced and seen, not only the last few days, but his entire life. So, uh, good morning, good afternoon. I don't know where everybody is in their timeline, but we have Chauncey with us, who is the general manager of the upcoming Common House, Richmond, which is, I just heard, six stories. Absolutely. Yes? Yep. Wow, that's a lot of stories. Love a lot of what? Like, what are going into these six stories? Yeah, so that's 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 a great question. Um, I'll kind of start from the basement. Um, so, theater room and wine cellar. Uh, the wine cellar is open to the public and accessible through Birdies, which will be the public-facing restaurant. Um, so, there's the private membership club, but we do have a a public restaurant on Broa. Uh, it's going to be kind of an oyster and coffee bar, which is fantastic. Uh, as we move up to the first floor, that's where Birdies is going to be. Um, and then our kind of member member access, there's a separate door for that. If you want to get in there, reach out to the concierge. Uh, there is a back patio on that level as well. It's a courtyard uh, with pergola. Um, so we'll be able to do some events there. Um, and then the two floors above that are dedicated to co-working uh one is kind of open format in that co-working uh, and then the second floor is offices and a conference room uh, there's also a podcast room which is going to be fantastic okay i can't wait to open that up. a podcast room i was gonna say he's speaking yeah. directly to us right now scott i feel like <laughs> absolutely uh, then we have the social hall um which is similar to to the one in Charlottesville. Uh, so there's a prominent hearth. Um, there's a restaurant that's there as well uh, for members. Uh, kind of the kitchen, you can slightly see into it. Um, bar, and then it gives you some steps up to the roof, which has a bar and pool, some tanning beds, and, and all of those those fun little things. So it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. That is a lot packed into a building. That's nice. So you said this good. is a social club. You said it was a social club? Absolutely. What does that mean exactly for folks who don't know what a social club is? So it's for, I kind of like to summarize it, but it's a place for people to dine, gather, and expand their lives. Uh, we focus on co-working, private events, dining, and programming, uh, with programming being one of the, the biggest uh, tenets of – of, I guess our 
entire entire focus um in very diverse programming you you're very likely to hear from someone in food and beverage just as much as you're likely to hear from a scientist that wants to come and talk and then we might talk about how we can uh cure the environment and then we might learn how to hula hoop or jump rope you know, you know any anything that's kind of going to the advancement and the upliftment of your personal life and all the while being able to showcase i would say some of the the best things of richmond and being able to get that all under one roof i like that i've always wanted to learn how to hula hoop i'm really bad at it <laughs> <laughs> like so terrible i, I don't know I, I what it is <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be into that programming because I also hear it's really good exercise. I mean, I don't know, it but like there, there it is. I thought so I would I mean, be better at hula hooping because I, I'm, I'm pretty good at salsa. So I'm like, yeah, I got the hips for it. I, I should be able to get it. And the thing just drops on me every time. And I, and I feel like the hula hoop doesn't have faith in me. I, I think that's exactly what's <laughs> <up>. <laughs> Yes. You have, you have a hula hoop that doesn't really understand what your next step's going to be. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I don't trust you, man. I'm, I'm just going to sit down over here. I'm going to wait till you figure out what you're doing. <laughs> other individuals that have figured out what they're doing, not me. I'm not even good at the hula. So maybe that's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure, but that's how it goes. So I'm going to get, like, I love Common House, and we'll wrap back up with talking about how somebody can be a part of it and, or want to try the whole situation out. But I, I think the biggest thing on everybody's mind, at least since, I don't know, let's say probably on your mind for the last 400 and some odd years, has been what's going on in the nation right now. So yeah. talk to me about that. And I mean, I'd love to hear your feelings and I'd love to have you let just. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess where, where should I start with that? Um, it's a lot. Um, I, was, I was talking to a friend last night and I just, we, we, we we're talking about a lot of what's going on right now and people kind of like changing their commitments or publicly uh, saying kind of where their focus is. And I've heard a lot of folks just like, oh man, you know, I don't know how to dive into it. And I think a lot about my experience as I can't, I really can't separate anything that's happening to me from like from the color of my skin. Right. Um, I have to actually live each day and some, and I, and I mean, a lot of times I have to pick and choose what battles I want to have. If this thing, if something that someone said is like as offensive to me or, you know, is it something that I can just move past and we can, and we can go with, uh, or like programs. And I, and I think one of the, how we got to that conversation was we were talking about how racism in Richmond particularly showed its face. And the things that I remember very specifically were dress codes, um, particularly in like shackle bottom clubs or any, any kind of any other places outside of that. And it was, I guess it could be taken a particular way. You could say, Oh, you know, we only want people in, loafers or whatever 
And I'm just like, uh, I don't really see that. So you get down there and they're like, you can't have any braids. I mean, I'm bald now, so that doesn't really matter as much as, as, as it used to. But can't have any braids. You can't wear Jordans. can't wear Tims. No long white tees. You know, and it was just never like, yo, don't come in here wear chinos and khakis. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I'm like, am I going to the Commonwealth Club? I highly doubt it. I'm here. I'm here to drink PBR and maybe like a couple margaritas or Modelo. You know, I'm not in here <laughs> to really. Who am I impressing in this place? Am I impressing? Am I impressing the venue? I'm probably not going to date the venue. You know, so it's just kind of like, what? What exactly are we getting at? And you know, it, it forced you to be, you know, somebody asked me when, when did I realize I was black or, you know, had or dealt with life differently. And I think it was very prevalent in those dress codes. You know, when we started, I mean, yeah, before then I'd, I'd gone to Georgia and I had some experiences down there, but I think when it really, really hit me, I was like, oh, this is coded. Oh, okay. Y'all wow, y'all want to keep me out of here. So, <laughs> perfect. And it was right. just like the perceived threat of dressing a particular way meant, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it meant to people. Um, so that's how we kind of got into that conversation and then moving forward and, you know, thinking a lot about, you know, where do I stand? Where do I stand in my corporate life? Um, what things do I talk about? What do I dress? Uh, what do I not? Uh, you know, when you just deal with kind of like microaggressions and you're like, you don't even know. And I don't have time today to talk to you and, and explain everything to you about this. I'm really not certain how you don't know this. How have you lived this blissfully ignorant? Like, I don't have, I don't have that privilege. Like, I can't be ignorant. I, I just can't. Like, because it's it's really a situation of, I mean, it's a determining factor in me moving forward. And at this rate, um, it's a determining factor in my life. Right. You know, like I just can't be out here and just ignore something or, you know, talk to people about bootstrap economics or anything like that. Like I literally have to be very present and mindful at all times. And I think the other piece of this that, we'll probably have to talk about is um, dealing with that kind of trauma and grief. You know, how do you cope with that on a daily basis? Um, I'm not sure if I've even processed everything that's happened. I mean, this happened in the middle of a literal pandemic, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I'm not sure where, I'm not sure when I'm going to have time to sit back and, and meditate on that. You know, it's like we're trying to open a spot. Um, I'm trying to stay safe. I'm trying to avoid contact with my parents and my and my grandmother. So, you know, my grandmother's 90 years old, so I can't be around her at this time. And then everything right now is just kind of letting loose. You know, it's all it's all unraveling. Um, like the, those pretty every days in society that people wanted. It's like yeah, you got to deal with everything right now. I mean, one of the things that I started dealing with while we were in the pandemic before we even moved forward is just like being with yourself and asking yourself that question. Do you like yourself? You know, and part of that has to do with where do I stand in the world? Um, 
what are my limitations and how do I overcome those things? And one of the pieces that came from that for me was how do I raise later, later on, how will I raise a child? Um, what will be my conversations with that kid and how do I let them know that, you know, they have boundless opportunity, but there are some things that are going to affect them and not letting those external forces be limitations to them and not letting them be consistent burdens, but, um, helping them achieve success in spite of those, of those things, um, whatever that success may be, you know, I don't need you to be a Senator, you know, you might just want to, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what you want to be. You might just want to, you, I don't know, own a flower shop or something, whatever, whatever that success looks like to you. But how do I talk to, talk to a child about that? Um, and I never really thought about that, you know, in my life. Well, I've never really thought about having kids that, that much, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, well, if I do have them, where, where do we go? So a lot of, a lot of that being by myself, having that time now is there. And just while I was getting to that point, this eruption happened and I'm like, Oh man, now I really have to think about <laughs> where do I stand? Um, kind of, where where will where will I go from here? You know, the last time we spoke was about a little more than a year ago. When we spoke on the podcast last year was the first time I had, I had met you. We talked a lot about your job at the Jefferson, mm-hmm. a lot about your grandmother and her cooking, and we yeah. talked a lot about your music. But we didn't talk about race, and we didn't talk about racism. And mm-hmm. I think part of that, well, I know part of that is because I I didn't know you. So I wasn't going to dive into a topic like that um, for someone I had never met. And I don't, we didn't talk about that with any of our, our white guests who we had before you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So this is our second time with you. And in the midst of, of what's going on in the city and in, and in the country, I feel more comfortable talking about it and, and, and listening to, to your story. You mentioned the, the dress codes in Richmond kind of being one of the I don't, i'm sure it wasn't the first time you realized that the system was was racist but i don't know Mm-mm. i don't know what like growing up in richmond in the randolph community what was the first time when you were when you realized things were not right you know it's, it's crazy because i don't think that it was randolph that did it for me my, my mom used to take care of uh of a lady and she took us to St. Simons Island, Georgia. And I was down there and we we're just all, you know, having a time. I think the scientifically they argue that you don't know the difference between the, the, the real world and um, fiction until you're about nine years old, right? So everything that you're kind of processing and that's kind of why they change what marketers do. So I think, you know, up until that time, I think I might have been like eight, a little bit, a little bit younger than that. Up until that time, you know, just everything was just all like a big world, you know, and I didn't really think that much about it. But I think it wasn't until I got to St. Simon's, really, um, that I saw how people looked at me. And as we, as we walked around, I mean, prominent golfers lived down there. I think like Davis Love III still lives down there. Uh, it was just the energy felt different. You know, it wasn't a, a situation of, it wasn't even so much as 
And, and, th- and this is funny because we, we talk a lot about like the N word and who can say it and who can't and situations like that. But somebody saying the N word to me has always been like the smallest piece of, of offense. You know, it's if I walk into a room and I see you changing physically your proximity <laughs> to me, um, I walk into that room and multiple people suddenly the the acceptable noise level in that room turns to deep silence and i become the the focal point in there i'm not a celebrity so what 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 why is that happening to me and i and i didn't have that experience until saint simons and yeah i'd say i was probably maybe like 7 or 8 when i really you know we talked about it um in school and and things of that nature I watch Roots. I've, I've like seen everything, you know, but those things don't really click with you until again, you walk into a room and you see how people react and change to you. Um, then as I started to grow, we got into things like the dress codes or <sighs> I remember one time going to PF Chang's with my mom and I was it was, I think it was a Sunday. It was like, cause I was in a full suit and I can't think of any other reason why I would be in a full suit at PF Chang's um, other than like that. And I remember getting up and the lady at the table beside me is like, she just like clenches her purse. We, we'd already finished the meal or whatever. So in my head, I'm like, what am I going to steal? Your fork? Like, <laughs> you know, like what, are, what, are, what, are, what, what do you want from me? Like I'm in PF Chang's. Are you serious? You know? And I, and I just, I was so, offended by that um that it, that it's just one of those things that stayed with me but it's always been how people respond or react to me in places that gives me the most because it changes the entire energy and you can feel it um and then between that just kind of like dealing with like several several instances of police you know the police are not great with that um and as much as I understand the concept of police, it's very much like, seems like an uphill battle in adversarial relationship. So my encounters with police have always been very much like, hey, if you forgot you're black <laughs> right now, <laughs> right now is going to be, right now is going to be the time. Like that's going to be the moment where you remember it. But like really when I first felt it was going to Georgia, like going to the deep South and then had kind of like remind you get reminders of it uh, every now and then. You mentioned the police. That seems to be the, one of the flashpoints between the police and the monuments here in Richmond right now. Mm-hmm. Have you, you've had multiple instances with police where you felt uncomfortable in, in everywhere. Yeah. I mean, not just Richmond, like everywhere. I remember, I remember being at school and like up in Ithaca, me and my friend Clay. So my this friend is in Clay, college. yeah, in college, yeah. My friend Clay is from Florida, and it was a Thanksgiving break, and you know, like we're like I'm from Richmond, he's from Florida, and we're just like, yo, man, I can't afford. I really couldn't afford to come home. You know, it's like I'll just take that break up there. So we had another another friend that was staying at their apartment up there. So we were just walking down, just walking down the street. 
just to go to their apartment and there's a cop that drives past us and he gets all the way like down the street and just busts this hard turn and comes right back up you know we haven't changed our pace or anything we're just walking and then he just starts with um all these questions where are you doing where are you going where are you from makes us pull out our ids so we pull out our ids you know and we're like we're used to we're used to the procedure you know this, this is how it goes you know it, i just never expected it to be up there right so pull out our ids and um he asked us like what our majors are everything like that and then he was like well why didn't you go home why are you why are you here why are you standing up here right now and you know we're both just kind of like because it's expensive as hell. <laughs> you, know, it's, it's like, you know, why am I, I going to take this flight for like this small break to then come back up to, you know, to upstate New York? I mean, it's, it's money either way you cut it. Like if you were to drive down or if you were to fly and, you know, it's like, I'm going to take this time then I'll take the full winter break um, when I can. And that was a lot of choices you had to make. And then he just go and he goes to this whole thing, and we're just kind of like, is there, you know, is there a crime? And he was just like, oh no, 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 y'all just, y'all just kind of fit the description of some things that may have been happening. And I was like, okay, that's a very specific word to have used um, that may, that might have been happening, that could have occurred, you know. So it's like, am I in the middle of like a hypothesis? Like, <laughs> you know, like what, 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 what exactly? What, what are you doing, bro? And it made me feel so it made me feel so small, you know, because I'm at this place, like this prestigious, prestigious university, everything's going on. And at that moment I was just like, and it doesn't matter. It's almost assumed that I'm not supposed to be here. You know, I look like I'm not supposed to be here apparently. And I don't know what that means. Um, and then it felt like it doesn't matter how far my achievements go. I still have, I still have that skin against me. You know, it, I can reach the highest levels of wherever I want to go. And that's always going to sometimes be a limiting factor. And I think that's why I think a lot about that for my kids. And it has, and it has a lot to do with changing your mindset, but you're reminded, you're reminded of those things in moments like that. When you feel, you feel small. And I was literally at the pinnacle of <laughs> of education you know like you know everything that the everything that i worked hard for to be there and i have somebody that's literally he has nothing else to do and he's stopping to you know like i was in hotel school and clay was in architecture those are both the number one programs in the world for for what we were doing at that time. So for hospitality, Cornell had that in architecture, Cornell had that at that point in time. So when I say like the pinnacle, it was literally like, this is the highest that you can go for, for the disciplines that we were in. And it was just like, yep, we just going to take these legs right from under you. Oh, you think you got somewhere? Absolutely not. Don't just re remember, remember you're black. Um, and it's hard to have that have that conversation sometimes because you don't want to tell somebody that and it feels like like i don't want to limit someone else's success and i don't want them to think that they can't move forward 
but it is something that you have to think about, you know, if that's happening there, you know, it wasn't really any different from the experiences that I had with cops in Richmond. And then when you look at everything that's going on across the world right now, um, and how police are reacting, the, the scariest part for people, and I think shouldn't just be like what's happening to people of color, you know, but they're shooting rubber bullets at media. You know, they're tear gassing people that have provisions to be there, right? I think on camera, they're arresting people like from media on camera. And I think that should speak to, and I talked about this a little bit, but the gall of of these folks that are in that position and where they really think they are and how much above the law they think they are while trying to get you on minor infractions or in my case, things that don't even exist. You know, like that's a, that's a, that's a horrible place to be because how helpless do you feel, you know? And as we move forward through the demonstrations and I saw so many people critiquing the riots and the protests, I was like, I feel like that does a disservice to the folks that have been out here doing the good work before we got to this point. For the people for two years that were asking for um, reformation for Marcus, you know, two years, you know, they, they asked for these things. And now we're at a point where, yeah, things are burning and breaking and, you know, people are marching and they're making it something that you can't ignore. But they were doing this work and it was a lot more quiet. It wasn't it wasn't less vigilant but it was something that wasn't readily making the news for people now because it makes other folks slightly uncomfortable or they feel like it violates kind of how they feel. Now, all of a sudden it's a critique on how I should be doing things, but Kaepernick knelt, And then we got flack for what Hamilton or people writing on stage or, you know, LeBron having a particular criticism and then they're telling him to just shut up and dribble. So what, what is my protest supposed to look like? What, what is my speech supposed to look like? When exactly do I have my, when exactly do I have my voice? And how do I make sure that that's not something that's suppressed, you know? But then how do you, how do you even, even more so have that kind of feeling and you get all the way up there? And the biggest thing that you know is, the people whose motto is to protect and serve are some of the main people that are participating in what I would call human rights violations. You know, like if we were, if we were to look at this under the lens of the UN, you know, that's exactly what this would be. These would be human rights violations. And how, how are people enabled to do that? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'll give you one more story. And this is a Richmond story. I was, leave my house on the way to work and like right on Idlewood, I witnessed a, um, I witnessed a hit and run called in the hit and run. And by that time, a couple other people had like showed up to the scene. They had knocked over the car that got hit had like run into a pole. So I think like the street sign. So that was knocked down. Cop gets there. He's looking around. And then minutes later, I'm in cuffs and I'm in the back of his car and I'm like, you know, I'm basically like, what the hell is going on? But I really want to want to talk about kind of where my mind was at that point. It was, what did I do? Why, why am I here? 
And then I know that I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm supposed to have this exercise and facility here. I'm supposed to be quiet. I'm supposed to say yes, sir, no, sir. And I'm like, who gave this man authority? <laughs> you know, like, that's my, that's my first thing. I'm already, like, fighting in my head. I'm like, who gave this man authority? Why is he, why am I here? I should not be here, you know? And then the other piece of it is, but what can I do about it? I can't do anything about it. And the moment that I realized that I couldn't do anything about it was I called in a hit and run. I'm on the scene and now I'm detained, <laughs> you know? So how, how much weaker can you feel? So we finally get, you know, a couple minutes later, he opens the door, gets me, gets me out of there. And then I asked him, I was just kind of like, Hey, you know, what, you know, what am I being, you know, what am I being held for? And he said, there's just so much noise on the radio. And I'm just like, what? And then he's like taking me out of the cuffs and he just says, yeah, man, there's just so much noise on the radio. You're, you're free to go. No apologies, no anything. I'm late for work at this point. It's hot. So I'm like in a full suit. So I'm just, I'm, I'm pissed at this point. Yeah, I've been out here. And I get to work. And I'm seething. And I run into the, I'll never forget that I run into the officer. I slam the door and I just go. And I was like, I can't believe <laughs> like this police officer. And I was like, it's called a hit and run. It's not called a hit and stay. Who, who hits and stays? Like, that's not even a crime. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a hit and run. And I never felt weaker in my life than at that point. Because somebody was able to strip my rights away. And I felt like it didn't matter what I did. I felt like I could report that, but where would it go? That officer probably wouldn't have been reprimanded or released. And I didn't even know what to do at that time because, again, you know, growing up in Randolph, my experience with police wasn't pleasant anyway. You know, but now I'm in the role of trying to be a cooperating citizen and call and say, hey, you know, there's something going on. Somebody got hit. You know, can we, can we get there? And then somehow I end up being responsible for what, <laughs> you know, like I call, I called this in, you know, so I'm sitting back that day, you know, and I'm, and, and I'm hurt because at this point, it's like, if, if that can be stripped away and nothing really exists there, you know, like it doesn't even, the literal name of this doesn't even match what happened. You know, it, I'm, I'm still here. You know, then what else could be taken from me at any point in time because somebody felt a particular way and because I fit a description. And fitting a description doesn't mean that a crime is happening at that time. You just look like you might be somebody that could commit one. It's like you, you have the potential to be a threat to me. So you're a threat to me. And now I'm going to do something about it, you know, because I'm, because I'm in a position about it. And I don't know people do that because they weren't cool in high school I'm, I'm not really sure you know what what role how you get there um but people get there and a lot of people are doing it and a lot of people across i mean there's there's no you know it because protests are happening in all 50 states right now that's crazy like that that's insane and i've had so many conversations with people from smaller places and conversation about the police and when you're stopped comes up often random stops for no reason people just stop and ask you about the weather <laughs> you know where you headed to and you're like why'd you stop me i don't have a tail light out 
You know, everything looks clean. I don't fit anything. I, this is not a stolen car. You know, it doesn't even, you know, just, just all of, all of these small points. And again, it, it makes you, it makes you feel very weak because you know, at any point in this crisis, like, or any point in that moment, you don't really have any power. Even if you're somebody that's equipped with all your rights, you could be a full blown lawyer. You could be a prosecutor. I think a Senator in New York, I guess, you know, it doesn't matter in that moment because that person just has something to, to prove where they want that power. So what do you do? And the only thing that you, the only thing that you're taught is that respectability politics that yes, sir, no, sir. And that's supposed to get you somewhere, but it doesn't because what, how could that when the reason you're even in that situation in the first place was because somebody wanted literally wanted to give you a hard time. <laughs> you know, it's like, let me just go over here and just like mess, mess up your day. You know, so now we're in this point where anything I do or say is, is a perceived threat. I can't move. I could be reaching for my license and registration and I have to vocally say that, Hey officer, I'm reaching for my license and registration. I got to talk to, I got to spoon feed them what, what I'm going to do. Hey officer, I'm putting my hands up, you know, and I don't think there's any better. I don't think there's any better representation of it right now than the Richmond police Twitter this week, because it's, it's, that is literally the, if any of these stories didn't hit it for you, you could see the video of what was happening to people. And then you could see like how the Richmond police was spinning it or how they, how they lied about it. Oh, this person didn't get spit on. Oh, we didn't use any, we didn't have any use of force. Meanwhile, this reporter over here, <laughs> you know, is crying and multiple reporters are out here like, hey, we're, we're on the other we're on the other side of this. People were getting pulled from their porches. People were getting pulled from their cars. Personal friends of mine had these things happen to them. If everything's supposed to be based on the Constitution or rights and freedoms and we talk about all of these things, how is it in this moment where you can actually see you can see people's rights being removed in front of them. And people are lying about it in front of us, in front of us. Does it's not there. There's no, there's no pledge turning prestige here. It's not even magic. It's, it's legitimately like, yeah, you saw that, but you didn't see that. And I'm just like, I don't really understand where, where this propaganda comes from. Like how, you know, how did we get to this type of police state? And how, what are you supposed to do? Like, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to move forward and feel okay? How do you feel okay in that? Anytime you step, you don't even have to step outside. Botham Jean and Breonna Taylor were murdered in the places where they lived. <laughs> like they lived in these places. They didn't even step outside. Where, where can you be black and okay outside of your mind? You know, that, so, and you try to go about your, your daily day and you, your, your, your daily activities and suspend that, that thought, but that's really, that's really a question. Where can you be black and safe? Because you can't be, but you can't be, you can't be at home, can't be in a car, 
You can't be at a place of great. You can't be at a place of great education. You can't report something to the police. So, so where, where, where is that? Where is that fine? And if it's not the police that I'm worried about, it's some random two A person that's that's walking around here and saying that they're demanding their rights, or it's a heritage not hate person that's over here in my face, and I'm like, okay, all of these things are a threat to me, and somehow I'm the threat. How is that? Like, how like how does that make sense? Literally, everything is working against me, and then we get a pandemic that disproportionately affects people of color. I knew that it had to be something. Like, how mad do people have to be in a pandemic that disproportionately affects their group for them to assemble, go outside in public, and protest? And you're going to critique my protest? I could die at any point (laughs) in this, from this disease, from this random police officer or from these Hawaiian shirt boogaloo boys, so who, who, whoever, that's crazy, by the way. I, I can't, I, I, I would really hope that my fate did not come from someone that looked like they served my ties. You know, I would, I, w- I would not like for that to happen. But <laughs> any, as you, as you come out here, when you really put it in perspective, it's, again, where can you be black and okay? And then as you navigate the corporate world, it's another question that I think about. How do you talk about your rights, um, your freedoms, the peace that you want to have without that narrative of you being the angry black person? Um, You don't want to be the angry black man or angry black woman. And now you're here, you're black in white spaces. And the more you achieve, that's where you are. And it feels like it's even more of a threat. And it feels like you're even more silenced because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable all the while navigating a perverted level of comfort for yourself. Like, what what, what do you, how do you do that? (laughs) I'm going to guess that you had some uncomfortable moments at the Jefferson as the general manager there during your your time your, your your literal job was to make other people feel comfortable <laughs> and i'm, I'm guessing yeah. i'm guessing you had more than more than a few moments where you were uncomfortable I, had, I, had, I did have some interesting moments um but i wouldn't say not any any more than i had in, in other places you know I, I think it would be i think it would be easy to think that the jefferson um kind of was that way but, you know, the more you get around people that have, like, money and power, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's less about race, but they're kind of blind to a lot of people, you know? So it's not like this thing is just kind of happening to you. I did, I did have some very specific things that, that happened while I was there. Um, my favorite experience, this is, this is, this is special. We had some people in the dining room. They they stayed late, and they'd gotten to a point where you know they they drank a little bit. They were getting loud and starting to use like a lot of profanity. It was making the server uncomfortable. So I had to talk to them, and I guess the wives left the dining room and they went to go to the bar. And I was just like, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry, we can't serve you anymore. We're worried about your safety. Um, we're happy to provide you." 
some snacks or, you know, late night snacks for you to eat, make sure that everything's settled down. But right now we don't feel comfortable continuing to serve you because we feel like it wouldn't be in the best interest of your safety as a human being, right? The, they asked to speak to the manager. So I come out <laughs> and I reiterate the same thing because it was my statement from the jump. Um, Cause the first thing you don't want to do is like immediately come over as a manager because that violates the trust of everybody. And it makes a bigger situation. They've already had the person that they've been dealing with and everyone's educated in the law. So we let the person they have that rapport with start that, start that conversation. You know, then I come over and I was like, hey, yeah, unfortunately, this lady like falling out of the stool. I mean, I don't really know. Clearly overserved. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, hey, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't, I don't really know what to tell you. You know, yeah, you have a couple people in this group, they seem fine, but you are not fine. And we don't use the law of averages to like make this decision just because your friend it doesn't balance out that way you know like your friend's good that, that's that's not how this is gonna work so I call and speak to me and i come and talk to him right so then i get another call this is a busy this is a busy night by the way like I'm, I'm i'm sweating i don't like that you know like i got a, i got a shirt that's like starched you know i'm not trying to sweat through through this whole thing so I'm out here looking crazy, feeling crazy. You know, my whole back is wet. You, you know, you walk real fast and you get that little breeze up there and it reminds you, ooh, yeah, you need to shower later. You know, that kind of situation. Get to the back. The front desk manager calls me. <laughs> and he's like, hey, we have some people out here that want to speak to a manager. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm just like, man, this must be a crazy night for, for a manager. And it's one of the women again. So I go out there and I talk to him. And I was like, hey, you know, like, we don't feel comfortable serving you. So then I get another call after that from the front desk manager again. And by this time, you know, I'm going over here talking to him. I was like, this better not be the same people because I'm, I'm telling you, like, I, you know, my patience is very, very thin here. And it is, it's the husbands of, of these ladies. And they, they were the people that were, like, the loud cursing folks, right? <laughs> And I'm like, hey, um, I don't really know what differently to say. You know, we, y'all overserved. I'm happy to offer you some food. I was like, I will take care of this food. I just really want you to eat. I want y'all to be safe. And, you know, you let me know if you need me to call somebody or something like that. They weren't staying in the hotel. That was one of the, the first things that we asked. So we get there. And then surely they asked again, can we speak to the real manager of the restaurant? So I'm back out here and I'm just like, I don't know why you thought it was different, but it's me. <laughs> What's up? Hi, how are you doing? I am the manager. And the guy goes outside. I will never forget this because this Remember how we were talking about how the room changes and it's not what the person says, but it's the actions that they do that make you feel. If I were to ever like classify something as just like potently racist, it is this moment. He goes and he gets his black driver to come in and talk to me. And I was like, do you need a translation? <laughs> like, what, what, 
what am I not articulating to you? And he uses his black driver as a character witness for this guy. So his driver's talking to me and telling me how much of a good man this guy is. And I said, I'm, I'm certain that he's been very great to you. And I hate to put you through the situation where you have to come in in your time of work and have to talk to me. But if he was really great as you said he was, then he would have followed the rules that, that I'd given him several times before. So now it causes me to question exactly where we are. And now we're at a point where I'm going to ask you to leave, you know? So the guy's walking out and I'm like, you know, have a, you know, like have a good night. And then he's just basically, he just starts like cussing me out and walking toward me, you know, like he's coming to me and I'm just like, man, I've been, you know, I've been carrying oppression on me all my life. Please don't come. (laughs) Please don't, don't walk. Tonight is the night where I'm like very comfortable with losing this job, <laughs> you know. And um, he's walking toward me, and it's just it's it's crazy. And they denied everything earlier, and then he just starts like cursing at me. And I'm like, I was like, this this is the same profanity that made my server uncomfortable. And I've asked you to leave. We've called security, and you need to go right. And like right at the time, like security gets up there and they grab him, they're they're looking him out. But that was the, I had, I had three other experiences that were like, that I remember specifically, but that was the one where I was just like, I cannot believe this. You know, uh, one guy called, you know, called me the N word. You, you deal with that. And he's just like, I have some N word here trying to tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, so I was like, hey, y'all got to get him out of here, you know, immediately. But I don't think that that's creative you know en- enough and i think that that's like really meant to push your buttons immediately like these people weren't trying to push my buttons you feel me this was how they lived and felt and they just kept coming at it and i was just like i wow you know and i was like what is it about me that makes me not an authority figure you know and that was it and then when he brings in his driver that's when I was like, yo, <laughs> you know, like, was there? I mean, and thankfully, like, everybody, everybody at the Jefferson is, like, extremely committed to making sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen or that they respond. I mean, like, all the way, like, all the way up to the, the GM there, like, everybody is of that same. It's like, hey, something like something like this has happened to you. Nah, these people don't have to be on premises like they can leave you know we we don't have that kind of thing so i never felt if there was ever a time where I, I would have felt uncomfortable um there was never a time when the jefferson made me feel that way uh, I'll, I'll put it that way um it was the people who it's the people who were there that made you feel comfortable not the actual hotel itself exactly that, you know those there, there, there are some, there are some folks in there that are like really, really dedicated to making sure, you know, things like that do either do not occur to you or if something crazy, like if something crazy happens, like, I mean, it's almost to the point where anybody in like upper management will come out and be like, no, it's your time, <laughs> you know, so 
the, the Jefferson never made me feel uncomfortable, but I, but I did have some experiences. But the ones that stuck with me the most followed that same trend where someone's privilege allowed them to get into my personal space, think that was okay, and then begin to berate me because they were violating the law. And that's an interesting juxtaposition of living a life where you're not violating the law, but you fit the description. You know, so when do you, like, you're damned if you do damned if you don't, like, how, how do you win there, right? You know, somebody with privilege is just going to come and belittle you. And someone who really doesn't really have that power, but they're given that power, is going to come and, and strip it away. So you got to kind of take control of your own joy, really, at this time. Like, that's when you find out that joy and happiness and peace are intrinsic things and, and don't come from anything else out here in the world because if i were to wait for the world to bring me happiness i'd be disappointed every time you know with with situations like that so those were that was that was like the biggest thing for the jeff having those moments um when people have extreme privilege and i'll say extreme privilege because not all the time was it somebody that had a lot of money. It was just somebody that acted like they had a lot of money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> a lot of money. You know, and they I've came. been watching you on social media um, mm-hmm. and you have, con- thank you, you've connected a lot of dots with a, a Google spreadsheet on just where the action is happening, what mm-hmm. action would make sense that would... Um, that is a valuable action. Um, how has that been received? It's been great, but again, what I, what I try to drive, the point that I try to drive in here is that, you know, I've talked to you about different facets of my life where I, as I'm progressing, you know, from being a kid in St. Simon's to sure. being in, you know, one of the most prestigious places, you know, continue, continue to be in prestigious places. Right. Um, and it lets you know that like, there's different things to fight for in the experience. Right. So, you know, a lot of folks right now are talking about, you know, getting money to the bail fund or things like that. And those things are extremely important, like making sure that you have like great legal representation, but now more than any time is extremely important to look at the schools and, how you're actually being active and going out and talking to kids. And that's why I keep saying and thinking about it because nobody asks to be born. No one. Like none of us are just sitting around like as a concept, just walking around like, Hey, you know, I want to come into this messed up world. Right. So now you have children out here that are very much like in the, in the thick of it. And they have to deal with this. And I mean, imagine like kids who are out of school right now, you know, they've been kind of like dealing with the virtual things and then all this stuff happens, you know, what do those things look like? So now more than ever is the greatest time to be dedicated to children to pretty much make the achievement gap smaller and disconnect the school to prison pipeline. Like those are, those are, those are very, very big things to, to fight for. Um, I think as far as the reception, it's, it's been cool because we've been able to, I've been able to connect with a lot of people that are doing things, but the general consensus is 
we don't want people showing up just right now to go away. And I'm not critical and I'm not just being critical of like black lives matter signs or anything like that. And I'm not really being critical of people. I'm just kind of letting folks know that this is a continuing, a continuing thing. So if you say that you're going to make a commitment, you know, and think about all of the ways you're going to be committed. Um, are you looking at people in positions of power in your company? And are you amplifying the voices of people of color in your companies? Do you have people of color in your companies? And is it one or two? And if it is one or two, you know, don't, this isn't the time to be making decisions for them. You know, like this is the time, <laughs> by, by, vice versa, exactly. You know, um, how, what, what, what are your commitments to hiring? One of my biggest criticisms, and it's not, we don't know how to solve it just yet. I'm thinking about some things to work on it, but in food and beverage, how many people of color do you see in the front of house? You know, um, one of my biggest things, we're able to hire plenty of people across the spectrum in La Mer, but I think one of the biggest things was because I was a black general manager and that was able to, it was representation. It showed people that this could happen. And if it could happen there, where else, where else can it happen? So sure. what are our commitments and how are we getting the message out in the right way to get people of color into front of house positions where they can actually, you know, be a survivor. You know, I got really tired of going to places and the first black person you meet is the dishwasher, <laughs> you know, sure. or and, and pay a proper living wage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and a, and a lot of, a lot of things go into that, you know, so as far as the spreadsheet, there are some things that can help businesses right now and like continuous funds and things like that. But what I really challenge people to do is ask yourself, what is your commitment? Where does your voice matter? Um, and what things are you going to put into place in an act that will have a lasting effect when this money withers away? After this monetary donation goes to something, what what do you do after that? How do you get active? And secondly, how are you educating yourself? How are you learning? How are you, you know, I said a statement the other day, and I didn't mean for it to sound crass or like I, like I don't have faith, but I was very much like people are very blind to rights violations or racism, even sexism, classism while they're quoting you scriptures from a God they cannot see. You know, so if you can have faith in this thing where you don't even really have that much proof, and I'm giving you everything that's tell you right now that this is the life that I'm living, and it's not the same, we don't have the same fight, and we don't have the same opportunities, and I was able to overcome, and it wasn't because I was more determined, <laughs> you know, I had different exposure and that's what allowed me to do that. And I'm still over here telling you that people don't have this thing. Like those are the fights that, that we're really looking at. You know, it's not just donating to black lives matter right now. It's making people feel comfortable and like they actually matter in the places that where they are. And there's no better place to do that than in the workplace or in your personal friendships. You know, like I don't want tears 
You know, I don't want Martin Luther King quotes when you talk to me. I don't want to feel like you, oh, you feel sorry for me. That also belittles me. <laughs> you know, that also makes me feel weak. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I've been stronger than everything <laughs> through, through this entire thing. Don't feel sorry for me. Help me. <laughs> you know, like that's it. It's, it's the difference between the people like, hey, if you ever need anything, you can call me. And then the people that just jump in and start doing things for you, right? Two, two different mindsets. Jump in and help me. If something is happening to me, you see me choking, don't film me. Help me. Help you. If you see something happening to me in my company, or you see I'm the only person that's speaking up, help me amplify my voice. Like, these, these are things that we're looking at. So it's easy to commit in the short term. And I think the reason why people do it is because it makes them feel better about themselves in that moment. And then they can have cognitive dissonance and move forward and just act like, all right, cool. Well, I feel good now. And I know that I can't be a bad person and I'm not a racist. I gave money over here. But it's, it's literally changing your life and committing, especially to the people, to, to the real stakeholders here, your friends and people of color and the people that you interact with and saying, hey, these are the things that I'm going to do, not to make myself feel better, but to actually affect change so that everyone can feel better and move forward. You know, separating yourself from what's happening to you and how awkward it's going to be for you because every day is an awkward conversation for me. Having an opinion sometimes feels like, hey, do I need to cope this differently and come back? You know, is this going to be perceived the wrong way? And does somebody think that I'm being adversarial? So again, like that spreadsheet is great and it's a great launch pad for doing some things right now. But the real message that I want to get out and why I keep committing things, that's why I put that Lyndon Johnson quote out there. Sure. I was like, hey, if you get the smorgasbord of policy right now and they pass these things, do not think that that means that people like you. That they're on the same side as you and that they're fighting for you. They are fighting for their reelection. <laughs> you know, like don't get it, don't get it twisted. So what what keep that pressure on people and make sure that your voice actually really does matter and that they can't ever forget that. You know, we appreciate you being here today. I got to tell you, I know that you have a ton happening um, with what's going on in your life, what's going on at the common house, what's just going on in general. So, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't even explain how grateful we are that you've taken the time to chat with us because it's just so important to hear. If people want to yeah. look you up on any of those places to find you. Um, yeah. So common house, follow, follow common house, RVA and, uh, common underscore house is the main account for that. Um, we are slated for September, a September opening, and we are nice. on schedule. So nice. that's, that's awesome. Um, for me, I'm Mr. Chance Fisher everywhere. So Fisher, like Bobby Fisher, uh, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. So if people are looking for me, that's, uh, that, that's where I am. Not that I have anything to contribute to people. But. <laughs> I was going to say, I, th I thought I saw you on social media asking for space to record. Uh, are there any, some new... New song is coming out anytime soon? Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things that, so when I left La Mer, that, that two-week period was the freest period that I've had in a long time. It just felt, it just it was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Um, it gave me some time and 
COVID as well to really compose my thoughts and be introspective and see where I am in my life right now. Um, and that made the songs a little bit different. Uh, they feel better. Uh, they come, a lot of them come from conversations with family members because I wanted to be committed. Basically, I don't want any person in my family to die without me having had a real connection with them. Um, and I don't ever want to leave this place feeling like I had something that was unresolved in terms of relationships, um, whether that was a problem that I had with a person or anyone else. I just want to make sure that we're there. Um, and I wanted my music to reflect that. So that's, that's where I am right now as far as recording, just making things that are a little more honest um, and fun and getting rid of the, the entire idea of where it goes. I, I just don't really care about that piece of it. I just need to get, get my truths up. <laughs> so look forward to hearing that. I do too. I'm excited. Well, <laughs> I can tell you you're listening to eat it for Janelle with Chauncey, who is the new general manager of common house, which is opening in September. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks y'all.